Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We are interested in talking to Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst, joining us here on The Fan. Matt, what's going on, man? What do you make of these odds where Will Levis right now, he is the odds-on favorite to be the number two overall pick. Does that make any sense to you? No, none. <laughs> but but the, the, Vegas is a big, beautiful city for a reason. These folks are, are uh, you know, pretty good at what they do. I, I do find it kind of funny. I don't know. I truly don't know this. Maybe you guys do. How accurate are the odds? You know, like, can we go back to last year and see, like, you know, was Trevon Walker and Aiden Hudson felt like everybody kind of knew that was hap- would happen. Did they have Derek Stingley, like the first corner off the board over Sauce Gardner and things like that? So I think it's fun. It, it makes the draft fodder a lot more fun, which I directly benefit from as a draft analyst. But uh, I don't know if I – and it's funny because I think it's only one or two sports books that have Levis as the favorite. So – I like his draft kings hearing something different than FanDuel. Like what what's going on uh, with these with these odds? But it definitely makes things more fun and, and adds to the anxiety and the intrigue that is the NFL draft. Matt, in your latest mock, you have the Texans taking Will Anderson Jr. with the second overall pick. For a long time I felt like, okay, well, they'll take whichever the best available quarterbacks is there at two, and then over the last couple of weeks it appears that it was Bryce Young or bust for them is that what's reflected in your mock that they're going to go defensive end because Young's not there or is there still you know water churning around that a quarterback might be in their future regardless of who it is I have them passing on a quarterback and taking Will Anderson from Alabama I've been told that they have a an astronomically high grade on Will Anderson Uh, so I I think that is where the, the winds are shifting that direction right now uh, I, it's not what I would do, but the sense I get from talking to people around the league is that the Texans see this as a situation where they are. This is a bad roster, right? They won what three games last year, a handful of games last year. Uh, it's a bad roster, and that a rookie quarterback is not going to change that, especially with a new coaching system coming in. Um, so I do think that that's where the the intel is right now. That could change as we get closer to the draft. Thing, things will firm up, but. Everything I've heard is Will Anderson, and the surprise would be Tyree Wilson, not yeah. a quarterback. I, I can't find anybody who says quarterback to Houston at two. Uh, which would surprise you more? And you might have answered it right there, Matt. Would it be Tyree Wilson being the number two overall pick, or would it be Will Levis being the number two overall pick, which might involve a trade, possibly? What would surprise you more? I think, oh, goodness, Levis would surprise me more. Also, and I know we're like, we have to take our own personal rankings out of the equation when we're talking about a mock draft, but I have Levis as my number 30 overall player. Uh, I almost have him and Hinden Hooker almost rated very closely for me. So not that I'm always right, uh, not that the Texans should listen to my rankings, but that would just be such a huge surprise for me given that I don't know anyone in the NFL who thinks Levis is the second-best quarterback in this draft. Matt, on the C.J. Stroud side of things, we talked a lot over the last couple of weeks of the you know embarrassment of riches he had, particularly at the wide receiver position uh, over his tenure there. 
when you look at that and compare it to, let's say for the sake of argument, he goes to the Colts, the roster they have, how impactful will that be whenever he takes the field? And how hard is that to shape up a receiver room in a span of an offseason or two in today's NFL? Yeah, uh, he'll never have a wide receiver room like he had at Ohio State. <laughs> I think we can safely say that with you know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Emeka Abuka. Uh, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. Julian Fleming is their like fifth receiver, and he was the number one recruit at the receiver position in his class. So like their backups were five star recruits. So, you know, he's not going to have that in Indianapolis, uh, but they have good players in Indy. Michael Pittman Jr. is a good player. Alec Pierce is a good player with a lot of upside. Uh, the tight end Jelani Woods they drafted out of Virginia last year is. You know, freak athlete with loads of potential. You've got Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. So if, if he goes to the Colts, you know, it's not like you're going to a team that's completely devoid of wide receiver talent. I would argue the Colts have a better offensive framework than the Panthers do. And we, we look at Bryce Young and just like, okay, he, he'll just slide in there and become a guy. He'll become the starter there and be really good. So I, I try to – with C.J. Stroud, I, we could say the same thing about Hendon Hooker. It's not their fault their receivers were good. It's not their fault they played in a great offensive system. Our job as evaluators is to try to take them out of that scheme and evaluate their traits in a vacuum. You know, how, how accurate are you? What is your arm string like? What is your processing speed like? And you try to gauge those things the best you can. He's Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst, joining us here on The Fan. I want to circle back to Will the Thrill Levis. You got it number 30 overall, Matt. Like, when you break him down, what do you see that you like? What do you see that you dislike? I liked 2021. I did not like 2022. And I understand he went through a scheme change. I think sometimes with Levis, he's way too trusting of his arm and his physicality. And I remember watching him last year and writing Carson Wentz. And I, I truly believe there are so many similarities between these two players, even in the mindset of I'm bigger and stronger than you. I'm going to throw this ball wherever I want. I'm going to stand in the pocket. And Levis himself like, dealt with injuries, even though he's this, you know, super-sized human, you know, who's posing shirtless on social media, uh, even though he's comfortable doing that stuff, he's still, he's really been banged up. He had a foot injury that really bothered him this year. He's had uh, shoulder injuries in the past. So I see someone who you've got to speed up your processing. And I thought in 2021, they did a great job with Liam Cohen as the offense coordinator of utilizing Levis's mobility to allow him to have some easier decisions as a passer. He wasn't just standing in the pocket surveying the field. They were using him as a mover so that defenses had to play him more honestly, so that teams had to account for that speed. And when that disappeared this past year, man, that really affected his game. So in the NFL, he's going to need any time to operate. He's going to have to speed things up, and hopefully a team does take advantage of that mobility that makes him a better player, honestly. Matt Miller, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst and Insider joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout. Matt, going back to your most recent mock, you referenced the Cardinals and all the smoke around whether or not they're going to try to trade out of that spot and somebody else move up potentially to take a quarterback. I know you mentioned it in your piece, but in your talks you've had around the league, we won't hold you to it. I'm not going to lock you in and send you a text message frustrated on draft night, but (laughs) at this point in time, still a couple days out, they keep this pick, or do you think ultimately somebody's going to jump up and give them an offer they can't refuse? I'll say someone comes up, but I think the price is going down because there's not 
I know Adam Schefter, who is the best in the business at, at information, said six teams have called. Those teams are definitely going to wait and see who's on the board. You're not going to make that trade not knowing who you could select in that spot. But I do think the price is going down the closer we get to the draft because there's, you know, there's not going to be as much time to, you know, kind of finagle and, and negotiate. And someone, whether it be the Tennessee Titans or the Minnesota Vikings or the Las Vegas Raiders, I, I do think someone will see Houston pass on a quarterback and say, okay, let's go get our guy. I hope. It's the Tennessee Titans because how fun would it be for the Houston Texans to pass on a quarterback, for the Indianapolis Colts to not trade up, and the Texans get a quarterback who then has to face those teams four times in one year. That's going to be just the the football drama that's going to come out of that is the stuff that we live for. It's going to be so much fun if the Titans make that move when the other ones wouldn't. Matt, do you think it makes any sense whatsoever if the Texans are saying, hey – if we're being brutally honest with ourselves, if Bryce Young goes number one overall, we're not convinced about these other three top quarterback prospects. How about we go Will Anderson Jr. and we look to maybe Caleb Williams or Drake May next season. What do you think about the thought of deferring to the second half, if you will, and looking to the 2024 draft to go QB? I think a lot of teams are doing it. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons say they're riding with Desmond Ritter. The Washington Commanders say they're riding with Sam Howell. You know, we've got a lot of other teams that are, you know, Geno Smith had a great year, but, you know, Geno signed to a deal where you could get out of it. Jimmy Garoppolo signed to a deal that you could get out of. So I think teams are wisely saying, let's see what we can do this year. Let's see what we got. And if it doesn't work out, we'll get a guy next year. And for the Texans, because that roster is so, so just talent deficient right now, outside of, you know, left tackle Laramie Tunsil and some guys in the secondary, it does make sense to say, you know what, let's, let's try to build the team first and add the quarterback second. And maybe we can get by with the Davis Mills and Case Keenum in this scheme for a year, and then next year, if it doesn't work out, we've got Caleb Williams, we've got Drake May. Um, maybe Quinn Ewers can put it together at Texas and stay healthy, and maybe he can throw himself into that conversation. So uh, I do think that you're always looking ahead and trying to figure out what's the best thing for the long-term health of this team. Is it throwing C.J. Stroud out there with, with no receivers and a bad defense, or is it getting a receiver, building up the defense, and then getting a quarterback next year? Matt, what's your evaluation, kind of zooming out big picture to in-state prospects on guys like Corey Trice out of Purdue and Payne Durham as well, and then Michael Mir out of Notre Dame? I love Corey Trice. Uh, I, I think it's been said a lot now, so I won't act like this is an original take, but you look at what Tariq Woolen did last year for the Seattle Seahawks, and I think Trice is a similar similar athlete, similar build. In the right scheme, he could have a, a great impact. He's a really, really good football player. Payne Durham, I have a, a round three grade on just because of the injury history, but I, he's someone that if he's a starter in two years, we're talking about, hey, here's the next great day three tight end. I won't be surprised at all if it's, if it's Payne Durham. Uh, and then uh, Michael Mayer is the best tight end in the draft, in my opinion. Hands down, best tight end in the class. He's, it's like watching Jason Witten in his prime I think a smart team, like maybe it's the Dallas Cowboys, will see that and say, hey, we'll take that. That's, a, that's what we've been missing. So um, a lot of good guys, a lot of good players out of there. I'm a, I'm a huge Charlie Jones fan. Charlie Jones is one of my favorite players in the draft. So uh, as far as the Purdue guys go, Trice, I think he'll be the first one drafted. But uh, Charlie Jones is my dude. I think he's going to be a really good NFL player. 
He sounds like a country artist in the making. Does he not? Charlie <laughs> Jones? Are you kidding me? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He does. Hey, Backup maybe, career. Maybe he's got a second career waiting yeah. in the wings. You know, Matt, I am fascinated by the curveball, right? If you look at the NFL draft, top five picks, maybe even top ten picks, something that you're not going to necessarily throw on your mock draft, but you're like, don't be shocked if it goes this way, and a lot of people might not see it coming. What would be on your list? Oh, I have one. I have one ready for you. Uh, the New York Jets drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I didn't put it in my mock draft. But that, that I keep hearing, like, hey, the Jets have done a ton of work on JSN. They don't necessarily need another receiver, but if you compare Jackson Smith and Jigba with Garrett Wilson again, uh, and if you do get Aaron Rodgers, holy crap, that offense is going to be a ton of fun to watch. I love that. I love that. Yeah, we'll see if that ends up happening. Matt, great stuff, bud. Thanks for spending some time with us, and uh, we hope you enjoy the draft as much as we will. Thanks so much, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. Matt Miller, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst here on The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. want to welcome in Dan Devine, senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports. And I, you know, just give me a little grace here, Dan. We'll get to the NBA in a second. But I can't help it. I can't help it. Eddie Garrison, who's on the ones and twos, he played some Van Halen just there. And mm-hmm. I have to know, Dan, are you team David Lee <sighs> Roth or are you team, what's the other, what's that hack? Um, <laughs> Sammy Hagar, my bad. Way to not not show bias there. Good job. Is it Sam or David Lee, Dan? I mean, honestly, it's an insulting question that you would even ask me. It's uh, David Lee Roth was was the, the heart and soul of the band, and then everything after that was no longer Van Halen. Boom, Dan, you crushed it right there. Absolutely what I was looking for. I just wish Dane, Dane Fife was here, who does the show occasionally. And he's Team Sammy. Can you believe that, Dan? It's, I find it objectionable. And I don't, I don't know Dane, uh, Dane Fife. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. But that opinion is, uh, is, is objectionable. I, I have significant problems with that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, hey, um, you know, I, serious basketball question. Which player is playing the victim role better? Is it is it Dylan Brooks who says it's the media's fault that I got ejected, or is it Draymond Green who stomped on Sabonis and said, "Hey, hey, don't don't hold my leg, and I won't do that." Who plays the victim card better? See, I think this is one where it really depends on your lens on the question. I think Dylan Brooks basically adopting the nickname Dylan the Villain since he was at Oregon and then coming out and saying, the media has made me a villain. The fans are painting me as a villain. Dude, this is your brand. It is the brand you adopted. It is the one you have courted all season, all, not even all season long, all career long. Uh, and then to throw you to throw the rock of, of uh, calling out LeBron James and then hiding your hand the way he did uh, is it, 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 I'm a, I am generally speaking a Dylan Brooks guy. I think teams need somebody who is going to like 
go try to lock up the best player on the other team and get in their kitchens and try and you know make an impact without scoring. Dylan Brooks took that to a new level though by missing basically every shot he took and then getting himself run from an embarrassing game and then not talking about it. So he's playing the victim role well. The one who's doing the best with it though is Draymond because he actually came back and made an impact. He made a serious impact in game four to get them back to, to level in that series because this is what who Draymond Green has been. There's all the issues that people have with him for a wide variety of reasons, many of them justified, but you cannot argue with the impact he makes on the defensive end, and you saw that uh, in a lot of situations late in that tight game to get them to a game five. Dan, I'm not sure how much you sprinkle into the gambling waters, but I made a, a proclamation on Friday with extreme confidence that because of all this Dylan Brooks nonsense, LeBron was going to go off for somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 <laughs> points. Uh, we had a couple of guests that came on it. They asked me for a lock. like, that's it. Place it there. Didn't happen. Uh, I've, I've made my apologies. I, I've, I've had that had that moment uh, for a bad beat. For me, moving forward, now I'm confused. Are the days gone where I can confidently bet a 27.5 or 28.5 for LeBron James in a postseason game, or is it just this series? So I, the, the extent that I get into the gambling waters is that my editor has told me that I am like under's fuel. I was at, uh, I was at bo- the, both of the Sixers-Nets games and both of the uh, Knicks-Cavs games this weekend here in New York. I was, just went all four days, and I think I hit the, uh, we hit the under every time because my presence is like a cooler. So that, that's as far as, I, as far as I contribute to it. So apologies to everybody who had the overs. Um, as far as LeBron, I mean, this is it's the culmination of kind of a slow walk that we've been seeing and people have been writing about and talking about. I've, you know, put my two cents into it over the years as well. Like, yes, the production is still great. You know, he's able to crank it up when it's called for, when he needs to, but it's not always there when he wants it. And it's, it's not there at like an easy 27-7-7 like it used to be. That was kind of the whole point of getting Anthony Davis, right, of, of being able to have somebody else who can slide into the number one role. And where at the start of the last few seasons, LeBron's talking about, like, yeah, he's, we're going to play through him. He's the number one guy. And when he's available and when he's locked in, he can certainly play like that. There's obviously just the availability questions, and then sometimes you have quiet games from AD like in game two that make you wonder if that's a bankable solution. I think the biggest thing, the, the, you know, the, the sunniest thing to take if you're a Lakers fan here is you, you're up to one and you haven't gotten really, like, big LeBron games. You've been able to get up in this series, you know, Austin Reeves, AD, pick and roll, Rui Hachimura making shots, bringing them home in game one. Game one, They obviously blow the doors off the first quarter of game three, and they're kind of off and to the races from there. But LeBron has been able to kind of coast his way through the first three games, and I think if you come to a point where you need it more from him later on, hopefully there's more in the tank because he hasn't had to exert himself so much so early. He's Dan Devine, senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, joining us here on The Fan how about Kawhi Leonard, man? It's I'd love to see the guy out there, and he was sensational in game one. He went for, what, 42 minutes in game one, then two nights later went for 39 minutes, and now we haven't seen him since. Out games three and four are going to be out for game five. Is this the downside of load management, potentially, where you take a lot of days off and then you try to ramp your body up full speed and it doesn't respond? Is that what we're seeing here with Kawhi? I mean, listen, the, 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 the next time I have uh, uh, 
real grand insight into what's going on inside Kawhi Leonard's body would be the first time. But I, I think the, the concern I'd have with, with that is I don't know that you can paint load management as a strategy with that brush. This might just be a very specific case, like a, the curious case of Kawhi Leonard as an individual, because as you saw, you know, or the Ty Lue said after game one when Kawhi went off, this is what we've been sort of saving up for. The whole mm-hmm. point was to save up for this. Um, and then, you know, you, you find out after, uh, you know, find out after that, like he, or after game two, he tweaked it in game one, but they don't really say anything about it. Uh, it started to swell. It got a little you know, worse than they anticipated after game two. And then all of a sudden he goes from not on the injury report at all to out. And so the, the quickness with which these things can sort of crop up for him, uh, the, the dramatic shifts and sort of swings in availability and form, it's, it's unlike pretty, anybody else that I can think of in terms of, of the recent past. And that's, it's why the beginning of this series was so you know, kind of so stark and so eye-opening. You had people going, oh, right, maybe Kawhi Leonard's like, uh, deserves to be considered in that conversation of the best guys in the league. And I don't think anybody like forgot how good Kawhi Leonard is. It's just you, you haven't seen it as often as you need to, to, to kind of keep him up in that top five, top 10 kind of conversation. Absolutely. You know, game changing talent on both ends of the floor when available, but ask any Clippers fan and they'll tell you they, they've been tearing their hair out for the last four years, wondering how often they're going to get them. Dan Devine with us of Yahoo Sports. Dan, one of the biggest surprises to me, and maybe it shouldn't have been, is the Knicks in a commanding 3-1 series lead as this thing shifts back to Cleveland. When you look at Game 5 as you're previewing that and the journey for New York to get here, you expect them close out, or how competitive a ball game do we expect to see in Cleveland here in two nights? I, I mean, I, I, honestly, before the series, I picked Cleveland in seven, and that's still on the table. You know, they, they've still uh, they, they've shown none of the, the Knicks haven't played you know brilliant lights out basketball in the in their three wins. They've been better in winning time. They've been better in the clutch, and a lot of that traces back to Jalen Brunson. Um, and they've been and also to Mitchell Robinson, their center. Like the Cavs have a former All Star and a future All Star in the front court, and Mitchell Robinson's kind of depositing them into the trash can, like consistently beating them up on the inside on the offensive glass. They have not had an answer for him. Him, and that's opened all sorts of other stuff for the Knicks. But the Knicks are not, they're not scoring particularly efficiently. They missed a ton of free throws and threes yesterday. Like these are winnable games for the Cavs if they can just get themselves right offensively. That's kind of the big challenge I see for J.B. Bickerstaff here. Uh, the, the, the Knicks have correctly kind of made the gamble that if we load up, you know, we just like sag our help, help defenders off of whoever is playing small forward for you, Isaac Okoro, Jetty Osman, um, you know, if Karis Levert's in there, Karis Levert has the most offensive juice of any of those guys. But even so, we'll we'll leave him alone, and we're just going to pack the paint. We don't, you know, we know that Evan Mobley and Jared Allen aren't going to stretch the floor, and we're going to throw five bodies in the the sight line of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell every single time they try to attack. We're going to make it impossible for them to find clean looks, and they're going to have to make really really tough shots over and over again enough times to beat us. And they haven't. They, they it happened once in Game Two when Darius Garland got off the Schneid. And the, 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 the Knicks were able to sort of shut his water off again in games three and four, when frankly, a, a real, like a young Cleveland team, a lot of those guys playing their first road playoff games just looked like they were not ready for what the atmosphere at Madison Square Garden was like. I expect that sort of tone shift to, to, to help them back in their own, you know, the friendly confines of their own arena in Cleveland. But it's on, on J.B. Bickerstaff to find ways to loosen up that Knicks defense because they are packing the paint. They're daring those guys to beat them. And so far, they have not been able to. I'll try not to editorialize this question the way I did with David Lee Roth earlier, Dan, but uh, I'm just going to say one thing. With the injury issues in the NBA playoffs, it makes me wonder, generally, 
Is it more impressive to make it to the Final Four in college basketball, or is it to reach the Final Four in the NBA playoffs? I mean, this, and I, I will try not to offer too much editorializing as like an anti-college basketball guy because I'm not. I'm not necessarily that. I just I, I wind up spending much more time on the pro game because that's what I cover. I think this, the war of attrition that the NBA playoffs is. You're talking two months, man. It's it's not single elimination outside the play-in, but you're talking about two months and seven game series every stretch of the way, and it's about. How you you know can you overwhelm from the opening jump? Can you uh, you know deal with the the inevitable adjustments that are coming? Can you counter them? Who's executing them best? All that kind of stuff. And it's two months. You got to do it through four series. You got to get stay either stay healthy or have the next man up work for that whole time. So I think the marathon nature of it makes getting to the finals more impressive, the NBA finals more impressive to me. But um, you also have the, the benefit of a uh, higher overall talent levels. You know, it's, it's you know the top of the pyramid, the best of the best, and also generally speaking, more guys who have been there before. You're not relying as much on young guys kind of stealing up for those big moments. But I think both both impressive feats. But then the nature of just how how long the grind is and how hard you have to stay locked in for two months to get there i think that gets my vote senior nba writer for yahoo sports dan divine with us dan is there anything more just emblematic of the blindness of fanhood than a wolves and seven chant breaking out after (laughs) minnesota should have beaten the nuggets twice in that game Listen, man, I have no sh- I have no shade for Wolves fans. They have not had a whole lot to cheer about yeah, for 20 fair. odd years, right? Like, <laughs> it's why I was not one of the, you know, pearl clutchers tisk tisking Pat Bev when he jumped up on the scorer's table after the play in win last year. If you get some joy in this, this dangerous world, you got to hold on to it with two hands and celebrate it. So, no, listen. I, the, and the other thing I would say is Anthony, like, if I had Anthony Edwards on my team, I'd feel pretty confident too, even if it's a, 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 a fool's paradise that I'm building for myself in the palace of my mind. I believe in Anthony Edwards because Anthony Edwards believes in himself. Do you feel more optimistic about the Suns moving forward in the playoffs or more pessimistic based on what you've seen against the underhanded Clippers? I think the danger for them is just like the minutes loads tick tick ticking up, right? So I think I guess I would shade towards pessimism. I'm a glass half empty guy generally, but you're, <laughs> if, if you're if you need you know whatever it is like 90 minutes uh, every couple of game every, every game for, from both Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and you kind of can't survive without those guys in the in the like mid to high 40s, that's going to be really tough over a long period of time. You know you don't want to doomsay and and get uh, you know too too uh, you know too too nervous about injuries but Kevin Durant has had a wide variety of lower leg injuries and, and you know the, this is you know the more minutes you play the harder it is to stay healthy Devin Booker earlier this season hamstring and groin stuff soft tissue stuff like the longer the more you play in a uh, sort of a condensed window where it's games every other day they're gonna have you know and these as these series get into the middle parts you got travel every other day if they go longer um, th- that seems to me like a recipe for disaster to say nothing of you know 38 year old Chris Paul who you know who we know what his, his postseason injury history looks like so the play on the court the way the offense has been clicking basically ever since they got Durant on the floor uh, and the way they've been able to answer a really spirited charge from a Clippers team that's like throwing the whole kitchen, you know, Ty Lue is throwing the kitchen sink at, the, at, at Phoenix is trying to get uh, back to a place where it's level and then maybe he gets one of his guys back. But um, I think you have to feel really confident about what the Suns have shown with their, with their main guys on the floor. You just really, really wish they didn't have to keep those main guys on the floor so much so early. Dan, what's been your takeaways to this point, and what are your expectations moving forward for Warriors-Kings as things head back to Sacramento? 
Oh man, I expect I expect Mad Max Fury Road. I expect uh, <laughs> war, war rigs and a flaming guitar and everything. Like the loud, you know, loud music constantly. It is. It's lived up to the billing. The, you know, the Kings. Everyone was saying, you know, like if you're coming in, you know, uh, a, uh, an underdog in round one, you want the Kings because they haven't been there before, because their defense is shaky, because they're not going to be able to play fast in the playoffs the way they've been all season. And the Kings have said, you know, forget about that. We are going to do exactly what we do and be exactly who we are and De'Aaron Fox has looked like an absolute star like no no more asterisks or qualifications necessary he is going head to head with Stephen freaking Curry and not blinking so I think you know the, the idea that obviously the, 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 the Warriors strike back in games three and four there's that I think there is a sense that well over a long series the impact of Golden State's a ability to crank up on defense and they're just like the championship medal that those guys have the, the list of uh, of accolades that they've, they've accumulated, all the big moments they've been in together and the way they know how to sort of squeeze and close is going to come to fruition. And that may well be, but I think they're going to have to beat the Kings. The Kings aren't going to give it up. They've shown, they, they've shown enough through these first four games to believe, for us to believe that they're for real and that the, the Warriors are going to have to throw the knockout punch. They're not just going to fall down on their own. Hey, man, awesome stuff today, Dan. Really appreciate your time. And I love you even more that you're Team Dave instead of Team Sammy. <laughs> Only one team to be on. And uh, thank you so much for having me, guys. Take care. Thanks, Dan. Are you too. Dan Devine, senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports. That was really well done. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in James Boyd. Colts beat writer for The Athletic joining us here. James, the, uh, <laughs> the betting odds... Now favor Will Levis to be the number two overall pick. What's your reaction to that maybe being the possibility on Thursday? I do not believe that at all, honestly. Uh, I think that we're in this space now where it's like how much stuff can you throw to the wall and see what sticks. So I don't, I've never given betting odds a lot of um, you know, energy just because they change every day and it's just something to talk about. Um, I see people tweet them out sometimes, but even then, it's not really reporting. It's just throwing numbers out there to see, you know, what type of engagement you can get. So I understand it from the click's perspective, but from the real perspective, I don't pay it, pay it any mind. James, I completely agree with you in that regard, except when we get inside of four or five days to where this is, because at some point, whether it's you, whether it's Adam Schefter, whether whoever, whoever's breaking the news, at some point, those numbers are going to shift to a point where, okay, maybe this isn't just smoke. Maybe there's legitimate fire here, though I do agree with you on the uh, Will Levis thing. I don't envision him being or going there too. rather. I don't think somebody's going to trade up. But as you look at all of that, as you take everything into account, the betting odds, what you're hearing from the team, what you're hearing across the board, at what point in this final week do you decide when you see a nugget or you see a piece of news, oh, well, this is actually legitimate. This is where the winds are kind of really shifting now. Yeah, I think, obviously, the closer you get to the day, the more I think it probably gets fleshed out. But I would say 
The only thing that's really been defined is that Bryce Young is the presumed number one mm-hmm. pick. Anything after that's still up for grabs. Um, you know, Houston's kind of being mysterious at number two. But I'm always of the mindset, this is whether I'm reporting or not, it's just my look at life, that the least likely thing to happen is probably the way it's going to like – I mean, I'm sorry, the most likely thing that's going to happen is that nothing happens and things kind of fall like where you would assume they would. So I know right now you have all these mock drafts and you put all these different things that could happen out there and, and everyone's either yay or nay what's going to happen. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, we're going to get so hyped up about all these different things and then the board's going to fall – pretty undramatically how you probably would assume it would. Man, I, I see a curve. That's what's driving me crazy, James, is I think we're going to get a curveball where you say, whoa, that's different than what I've been seeing for the last month and a half with all these mock drafts. I just don't know where it is. But you're of the mindset we're not going to get any major curveballs at the top of the draft, huh? Yeah, man, I just don't. I just I feel like, and this is, again, this isn't really reporting. This is my, like, outlook on a lot of these things man you get so hyped up for so many different things to happen and then you get there and it's like everyone was just calling someone else's bluff now um personally i love chaos so you know bring it on i guess last year prepared me for it so if they want to throw some wrenches in there and then get get some things rolling and have me uh scrambling to do my job better i'd love that so i mean why not it's, it's the draft it's exciting but um one thing i will say though is that houston at number two, yeah, they're definitely, you know, mudding the waters a bit just because, you know, there's rumblings of them passing on C.J. Stroud. Do they take a look at Anthony Richardson? You know, the betting odds say Will Levis. So they're the one I think that's kind of steering, you know, what falls after them, obviously at number two and then three and four. But um, exciting times nonetheless because I, I assume that the Colts are going to take a quarterback, you know, no matter who it is. And at that point, obviously, it's a very big decision for the franchise. James Boyd with us, Colts beat writer for The Athletic. James, you had a piece on Friday that was kind of focusing on Colts' Ryan Kelly and regarding his love for Indianapolis and the chaos that he described at times last year's season. You get that on The Athletic. What were your overall takeaways? What did you learn the most from that conversation with Ryan? I think that he was very candid, which I always give him credit for. Um, and I know fans don't want to hear that after you don't play well, but he was a guy who faced the music you know, win, lose, or draw. And so I got to respect that. And I think that he spoke to a lot of truth about last season. You know, I remember describing it as dysfunctional and um, got a fair amount of backlash on Twitter from a few fans. But, you know, this is a guy himself who was in the locker room, you know, when the cameras weren't there and the media wasn't there. And he's, he repeatedly said it, that it was chaos. Um, and so that's, you know, someone who's been here for the longest out of all your Colts players. And if he's saying that, then I would imagine others are saying that in the locker room now. That doesn't, that doesn't dismiss his play. He has to play better. I think that he felt reassured when Shane Steichen called him the day he was hired to tell him, basically, you're going to be the guy. Um, so we'll expect him to play better, I think, um, after going through that. And it, obviously it helps if you just have some stability at quarterback. And some stability just within the franchise overall. There was, you know, coaching changes, player changes, injuries, things of that nature. So you get JT back healthy, Shaq back healthy, get a quarterback in there, and, you know, trust your new coach. Things should be, even though they're different, they should be a lot more, you know, uh, stable than last year. He's James Boyd, Colts beat writer for The Athletic, joining us here on The Fan. It's an interesting point, James, is a chaotic situation. And like you said, a quarterback that's a true franchise guy can help chaos a whole lot, right? Like lessen it quite a bit. In your opinion, what quarterback that could be on the board 
would do that the best? And do you have any indication as to who the Colts might think that guy could be? Yeah, I'll say this. Chris Ballard did, um, you know, a lot of heavy lifting during his last media availability before the draft saying, hey, we're not zeroing in on anyone. Don't care what you're hearing. That's not coming from me. You know, he basically was saying it's not truthful. So he's maintaining his leverage. I'll say this, though. I think I'm, I'm of the mindset of the two quarterbacks that I would lean most towards is probably C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson. C.J. Stroud drops past two. I think the Colts should go up to number three and get him. I think that he's that good right now and still has a, a fair amount of upside that the gap between him and Will Levis and Richardson is, is worth that. And so that would be like my first choice if, you know, Bryce goes number one and, again, for some reason, uh, Stroud doesn't go at number two. And then if it comes down to Levis or, Will, uh, or Anderson not, – sorry, not, not Will Anderson. If it's uh, Will Levis or – Anthony Richardson, I would lean toward Richardson just because of his upside. And I think that his floor is higher than people are giving him credit for. I think that with his running ability, um, he's more prone or more primed to play sooner than later. Um, I'm not saying he would, like, play right away, but I do think that you don't have to sit him for an entire year. And given Shane Steichen's track record with quarterbacks, how he's helped Jalen Hurts develop, I mean, if you look at 2021, Jalen Hurts was not looked at how he is now. And Shane Steichen helped him in that season. And he took a massive jump in 2022. Obviously, having you know a lot of offensive weapons helps, but I do think that um, you know you got to give Shane Steichen credit for helping Jalen Hurts become the highest paid player in NFL history. And so, if he can you know orchestrate a similar timeline or, or, or you know infrastructure and, and just a uh, learning curve for Anthony Richardson, I think that the sky's limit for that kid because he is dynamic. And I think that you can't really pass on that because if you're gonna you know, roll the dice, roll the dice on the guy you got the biggest chance of uh, winning with. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies jamming out to something new and everything in between. James, I know you've spent time with your own mocks. You've spent time consuming the beast. You and Zach Kiefer both. We had Dane Brugger on last week. As you look past the quarterback and after that selection's made, again, assuming it is a quarterback and the other needs on this team, one could make a strong argument. You list in your most recent piece that wide receiver is a need within that building, another weapon to have around a young quarterback. How aggressive do you anticipate the Colts will be in terms of rounds two and three? Again, for the sake of not getting too much in the weeds, let's say they don't trade up. They get a quarterback at four. They still have all their assets left. Yeah, I think that wide receiver has to be um, an area of need. And, And maybe you prioritize offensive line. For example, if Osiris Torrance is there, um, at 35, the Florida kid, and, you know, would help if you had Anthony Richardson, if that's your quarterback, um, wouldn't, you know, be opposed to bringing in his college teammate. But moreover than just being his college teammate, that guy is good. He's really good. And I think that he could come in right now and be your starting right guard and uplift this offensive line. So if he's there, I think it's a no-brainer. But I also think that, you know, you can look at wide receiver. If there's a guy like Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, who's a big body receiver, um, can play over the middle, can, you know, can, can be a, a pretty good blocker if he, you know, gives more effort in that area and, and learns more about it. Um, you know, even a guy like Jonathan Mingo from 
uh, I believe Ole Miss, who's another guy, big body receiver, who can, you know, in my opinion, fit into the slot, you know, for what Paris Campbell left by leaving for New York. He could slide in there. Um, and obviously the bigger target could probably be more durable. And then also, you know, a guy like Jaden Reed, wide receiver from Michigan State, who I fell in love with at the Senior Bowl. He's a confident guy. Maybe it's because he's from Chicago, but um, he's a good dude. <laughs> and um, he's very versatile. Like, I think that that's something that I'm curious to see how Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen's uh, thought process aligns beyond just the quarterback because I'm like, can we see maybe not as many Ballard-type receivers or players and, and, you know, a few of them that maybe that might be outliers to us because they're more of a Shane Steichen type. So um, I do think that a guy like Jaden Reed will fit a Shane Steichen offense very well because Shane Steichen likes to take a shot down the field. And Jaden Reed has that speed and versatility to keep defenses at bay and make you, you know, um, you know, account for him as a deep threat. So I'm excited about it. And I know the quarterback will get all of the attention and deservedly so. That's the franchise. But obviously, like you pointed out, they have a lot of needs that they need to address. And I think the offensive line wide receiver – are probably the top two, and then you can get into, you know, some of the other needs. I would also even throw cornerback in there as well. Like Julius Brent's Indy native, he might be a good selection in that third round. But, again, like cornerback, wide receiver, offensive line, those are the three glaring issues for this team, in my opinion. Man, James, um, you mentioned what Shane Steichen, his role with uh, Jalen Hurts in Philly. And I just stopped and thought for a second. You think about Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts just signing a mega contract extension, and they were just in the Super Bowl going toe-to-toe with Mahomes and the Chiefs. And we're three years in. Like, he came into the league in 2020. And so, like, think about that for the Colts, them striking gold with the right quarterback, upgrading the talent around him to resemble an Eagles-like roster, making a Super Bowl three years from now. Is that not likely to happen – do you even have that as a possibility for the Colts three, three, three years from now their success resembles what the Eagles just were able to do? No, no. Um, obviously, as a writer, I guess I would love to cover a team that is a championship caliber team, but I would say no. And I think that that's important for the Colts to kind of soak in. You know, the last few years, they've always built this team and approached the season as if they were a quarterback away from being a playoff team, a Super Bowl contender, but – I think last year really showed that they have a lot of flaws they have to fix. And then even just the timeline of your players, you know, like Buckner's 29, Grover Stewart's 29, Ryan Kelly's 29. You know, you assume that these guys are going to be good for, you know, you hope that they're going to be good for a long time, but you see a little bit of regression with Ryan Kelly. Um, you don't know if Buck and Grover are going to be the same players they were a year ago, three years from now. So I would just say with the, how the team is built, the timeline is a little bit, you know, confusing. They have to really, I think, this season decide if they want to, you know, rebuild it truly or just kind of retool it, which has kind of held them back in my opinion. But I would say to all the Colts fans out there, as much as, you know, Jim Ursay talks about Lombardi's and winning two, um, it's not going to happen in the next three years. And honestly, if I'm wrong, great. I mean, I'm yeah. going to Super Bowl and I'm going to have the time <laughs> of my life covering Super Bowl. So I'll take that. <laughs> James, we had a conversation, and I'm putting myself back in the spotlight here, but I just want to get your thoughts on it. We had a conversation last week, myself and Brian Noah did about this landscape of the NFL. How many teams can realistically win a Super Bowl in the next three years? Uh, perhaps I went a little bit too bold, but uh, we've made a bet and I stand by it. I said 10 teams of the 32 have a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl in the next three years. When 
And the Colts were in the, the latter half of that. Obviously, they were in the, the 22 that I did not pick. Uh, how crazy am I for that? And I can give you some specifics if you want in terms of like who I left out. But how crazy am I for that? And is it that insane? Or is there really, to Brian's point, a dark horse I probably left out that can have a quick turnaround because that's what this league so often brings forward? I don't think you're wrong. I, I feel like there's a good amount of parity in the NFL to, you know, have a legitimate 10 teams that could win it, you know, pretty soon. But, um, yeah, I think some of the turnarounds can be a little uh, misleading. For example, <laughs> the Giants had a great, great, great turnaround from, you know, from 2021 to 2022, but no one thought they were going to win the Super Bowl, right? Like, no one really thought that they yeah. had enough to get there and win it all. Um, it was a great season for them, not discrediting that. Even, like, the Minnesota Vikings, they had that weird year where they were like – I want to say they were like had a negative point differential – through like 13 weeks, but had like a winning record. And it was really good. They only had like two or three losses. But no one thought that like Kirk Cousins and that team was going to win it all. So I will say that, you know, it takes a little bit of luck in the NFL because, you know, any given play, any given, you know, uh, day, a team could, you know, have a fumble recovery or, or an interception or you could drop a pass and go to another guy's arms and it changes the entire game and that changes your season. But um, I would put a little caution out there that, uh, you know, there isn't going to be some crazy dark horse that comes out of nowhere just because I, I feel like it takes a lot. And obviously it takes a special quarterback, too, and those guys don't come along very often. I mean, people talk about Jalen Hurts now, but there are a lot of questions about him, you know, when he first was drafted. And he was actually a questionable draft pick at the time. Right. And even a questionable starter in 2021. And now he's solidified. People are going to pat themselves in the back. But – I know you all are lying. Like, you didn't think he was going to be this good. Not all of you. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, good stuff, James. Really appreciate your time, man. And I can't wait for the draft. I'm, I would imagine you can't wait. It's either. almost over, James. <laughs> oh, man. I'm like in per- and it, and it, This is me being selfish. I'm like, dang, man, I'm going to miss, like, this NBA game on Thursday night and Friday night because I'm going to be in the draft room. But got to pay the bills, man. And I can't complain too much. It's still yeah. a fun job. Yeah. Absolutely, man. There he is, James Boyd, Colts beat writer for The Athletic. Good stuff right there, man, for sure. Always appreciate talking to James.